Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. In previous weeks, we've looked at some of the building blocks of education in India, from the perspectives of teachers and students, as well as government investment in the sector. This piqued my interest in the trade in education. Trade in education? Well, if we think about it at all, then we will see it all as one way. There are record numbers of Indian students going abroad for higher education, with relatively few foreign students choosing to study in India. Actually, what really got me interested in this topic were the weekly, or sometimes bi-weekly, headlines about Indian students getting into trouble in some part of the world, usually the United States, and usually being the victim of some violent crime. They might be beaten up, assaulted, or go missing. Usually they are the victims of crime, but occasionally they are the perpetrators. When an Indian student loses their life abroad, I find it particularly tragic, a touching story, always thinking of the young life, full of ambition, full of dreams, snuffed out at such a young age, and the family left behind in India, not only losing their beloved offspring, on whom they had pinned such high hopes, but perhaps also having to deal with the financial debts left behind. Of course, with such record numbers of Indian students going abroad, the law of averages will mean that some tiny fraction of these students will get into some trouble, come to some harm, unfortunately. But then that begs the question, why are so many students going abroad at the moment? After all, the general mood in the country, particularly in just about all the media, is one of patriotic fervor, India rising, fabulous, magnificent, the teacher to all the world, the Vishva Guru. The question is, if we are the gurus, then why are our students fleeing? See, this huge surge in Indian students going abroad has roughly coincided with the liberalization of the Indian economy. 60,000 students went abroad in the year 2000. 7 lakhs in 2022. The number has multiplied by more than 10 times in about 20 years. And that 20 years has seen the fastest growth in the Indian economy ever, in all of history. Now there is nothing wrong with the brightest young minds in India travelling abroad to study with the world's greatest professors at the most elite universities, doing groundbreaking research which will change the course of history. But, uh, well, that would probably account for 700 such students each year, not 7 lakhs. And perhaps some very accomplished Indian students would be good enough to gain admission at the world's leading business schools or pursue higher studies in science and engineering or other fields. But again, that might account for, uh, let's say, 7,000 not 7 lakhs each year. So what is behind this 7 lakh number of students going abroad each year, a number which is only rising? Well, there are two things. First, places at top universities in India are competitive. To use some understatement, Delhi University receives six times more applications than there are seats available. Second, youth unemployment is high. We sometimes see a narrative in the media 
about the golden south of India are so dynamic and progressive, leaving the rest of the country dark and gloomy and backward, far behind. But the youth unemployment rate is highest in all of India in Kerala at over 30%, with Tamil Nadu not far behind at about 20%. It is almost as high in Punjab and Andhra Pradesh. Not coincidentally, these are the states from which the highest numbers of students grow abroad. For the record, youth unemployment is the lowest in Gujarat at less than 5%. About three quarters or 76% to be precise of Indian students looking to study abroad see it as a stepping stone towards permanent settlement abroad. This was confirmed by a recent study which showed that Indians studying in OECD or economically developed countries were the most likely to stay in their host country and join that workforce. About 35% of Indian students do return to India. Now given that three quarters want to settle abroad and about one third return to India, that would show that most of the time a student's aspirations will be met. That is, those who want to migrate do, and those who want to return to India do. But of course, the matching of aspirations and outcomes is not quite perfect. But what is behind this fervor, or should I say this desperation, to use the education route to settle abroad? I would say there is a little bit of a cultural element to it. The attraction, the allure of Western culture and lifestyle, the glamour of abroad, the magic of being an NRI. The perception of some that India is a backward, hopeless, suffocating place with no future for the young and educated is there as well. Again, very different from the mood of the media. But I will not dwell on culture too much. I will stick to economic motivations. Now, fees are expensive at private colleges in India, particularly for medicine and engineering. They could be 40 or 70 lakh rupees. Failing to score the grades to get into a good Indian college, parents will then raise a loan to buy a place abroad. Not even the weakening rupee in recent years has been a deterrent. Now, the Indian middle class has been the biggest beneficiary of the economic liberalization process of the last 30 years. But we find a strange economic phenomenon at work. As the middle class has expanded, so have the numbers willing, able, and ready to flee the country. The precise people who should benefit the most from India's booming economy. I would posit that families have either been entering the middle class or moving up within it, from lower middle class to middle middle class to upper middle class, and just at that point that they can muster the resources for it, sending their offspring abroad in the hopes that they will never have to return. It is an enormous vote of no confidence in the Indian economy, the Indian system, the nation, the culture, and its future. I have read in the press statements like, my dream is to settle abroad as I see no future in India. Quite clear and to the point, young man. And there is no option but to quit India. I even overheard a conversation the other day about a young man who had been working in IT in America for a couple of years 
for an Indian company. The general consensus was that he will never come back. People then chimed in, and nor should he, he should not come back. My favorite quote from the conversation was, it would just not be progressive. But this is also at odds with the mood of the destination countries for Indian students, particularly the United States and Britain, where there, the local people think that their societies are falling apart under economic pressures and cultural breakdown, that their societies are in a state of terminal decline, some of which they blame on the huge numbers of immigrants, legal and illegal, coming from places like India. As the numbers of Indian students going abroad increase each year, so does the finance industry which largely funds these travels. There is huge demand for education loans in Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities in states like Andhra Pradesh and Punjab. See, you can have youngsters from small towns in these states completely bypassing Hyderabad or Delhi, not even bothering with the job market in India, and flying into Sydney or Boston with dreams of a job and permanent residency. Currently, two-thirds of the applicants for education finance are young men, and one-third young women. And the average loan amount for these applicants is about 24 lakh rupees. Now, the problem is that with booming numbers going abroad, more and more of the students will be going to second and third tier colleges abroad. See, there are strict admission norms for local students in these foreign countries, as there are for local students in India, but ultimately none for international students. It is at the discretion of the institution and more often than not, a place can be bought at colleges and universities of ill repute abroad, creating a vicious spiral to the bottom. At the end of such a degree, with no admission standards, the degree might be worthless, and so it can get harder and harder to get a job after graduation abroad. A student can get caught in a debt trap, having to stay abroad to pay off a loan, even working at minimum wage, or less. Even returning to India to work on a good local salary would not allow the young person to pay off their debt. But the demand does not stop. Education loans dispersed by the non-bank financial corporations are likely to grow by 40% this year. Education loan specialists, like students who are studying STEM subjects or science, technology, engineering and mathematics, as they have the best job prospects at the end of the degree. The repayments start at the end of the degree, but the interest calculations start on day one of studies. Interest rates are at about 10% per year. The levels of default on such loans are also at about 10% at the moment. Now about three quarters of education loans are backed by family property as collateral, the family home. At the moment, there could be about 10,000 crores of rupees in loan defaults in this education sector alone, which will only grow. This seems like an immense misallocation of resources, all that credit in the Indian banking system, which could be put to more productive uses instead of being used to send young Indians abroad. When these student flows are reported in the media, it is not done either in celebration nor a sense of gloom. 
because the writers cannot really work out if it is a good thing or a bad thing and how it fits our current national mood or our current narrative. But as a history buff, I can only recall the labor trade of the 19th century when Indian and Chinese workers, dubbed coolies, were essentially bought under free will and contract and shipped to distant colonies where the British could not get the local people to work in the mines and in the plantations. This was the seed of the Indian diaspora we see today. Has much changed? Are so many lakhs of Indian students not the educational coolies of today? Going abroad, heavily indebted, hoping for the job at the end of the degree to pay back their debts in India with the dream of settlement abroad? Western countries absolutely love this flow of labor. International students pay multiples of the fees that local students do. It is the basis of the prosperity of their universities, the brand new infrastructure, the impressive buildings, the professor's salaries, the huge research budgets. Not only that, but they then get to pick and choose who stays and for how long. Western countries need this flow of Indian students because their own birth rates are so low. See, without these new arrivals, they would not be able to sustain economic growth. I see little benefit to the Indian economy in this export of students. After paying off their educational debts, the students who are tomorrow's Canadian and American citizens, their engineers and their scientists, will stop sending money back to India. They will start their families there and may try and bring their parents along with them. It is not even clear if the Indian diaspora works in any coherent way in India's interests. Sometimes it works against it, as we have seen recently in Canada. I would put it at about 50-50 in the Indian diaspora, between the India lovers and the India haters. Those who love their roots and remain engaged with India and those who want to sever ties and not set foot in the country again. But it has to be said that the coolie trade and the quit India movement are alive and well in the 21st century.